Welcome to ArchiSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Are you back home? I am, yes. Sad. Sorry. Me too. I will say that uh, the lake was far more relaxing. Yeah, I need to... Actually, that's something I have to do today. I have to plan what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, good times. So you have was a good it, trip? Yes, yeah. Actually, it was... Um, I did work you know, because it wasn't really a vacation for me. And, you know, our vacation would have been later in the... Probably in, like, early to mid-August anyway. Yeah. And uh, this one just kind of fell into our laps. It was yeah. fantastic. And um, as you know, it fell in our laps. But yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was, um, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize how much of a break or at least just a change of scenery from maybe staring at unfinished, you know, like prime painted walls in basement like little teeny basement windows and all that other stuff. How much of a break I really needed that. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, there was a, you know, at least there's a change in scenery each day going from work and away from work and all that other stuff. Right. Right. You know, is is probably greatly underappreciated. Yeah. I, I've talked about that before with Jesse. It's just like, I don't have a, time to switch gears now right i mean there's and that 15 minute drive was enough so well yeah i thought it'd be fun to talk about stuff that we're doing instead of going on vacation and maybe it's just like the things we're doing between work hours because <laughs> that's kind of what it's what it is this time it's and it's it's not worse or better it's just different right so you like you were just saying you went off to a lake house and i mean you said you're working Location yeah, kind of doesn't matter as much, but you also got to do some other stuff in between the work hours that was pretty cool. It was it was very needed, um, but I mean it was interesting is because like prior to that, I didn't. I guess I didn't really realize how much I was working because I'm at home, so I'm not really distancing myself from work. I mean, I walk downstairs to the basement. You know, the three computer screens are up and. I log in, people got questions, I answer them, I look through emails, I look through documents, and, and I just do that. What would normally be like your eight-hour day ended up becoming, you know, 14 to 16-hour days. And it was just not realizing, just because of the convenience of being right next to your computer, that I wasn't really not working. Yeah. If I wasn't if I wasn't awake, then I was working, you know, or at least it seemed like that. It, it, you know, you get to a point where you're just like, all right, this is a little too much. You need the break. You need the little bit of a deep breath. And by no means were we planning on, you know, doing any kind of vacationing because, I mean, we take the whole social distancing and masking and staying distant from people. I mean, yes, we've gotten out to our local state and national parks, but you know, if somebody's on the path taking a left, we're on the path taking a right. Things like that. Just we're we're out getting fresh air, getting exercise, but still 
trying to be right about it. Yeah. And like I said, it just, the, the vacation dropped into our lap. You know, somebody said, Hey, we've got a lake house. Would you like to borrow it? And we did and drove. Yes, I would. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's just like, you know, I mean, they didn't really have to explain much of anything. They were just like, you know, Hey, we got a lake house. Well, when you told it, told me this the first time you said that you were like, Oh yeah, that's really nice of you guys. (laughs) No, 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 no. We're serious. Like you didn't even take them seriously when they, when they first, we didn't even take them seriously. And it was just like, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And then the more, and, and really it was up until the day before we like threw our bags in the car and pulled off that we were just still like, nah, this ain't, no, this is just, it's not real. (laughs) It's not real. And then they convinced us that it was, and, we did, and it was, uh, I didn't realize how much I actually needed it. And again, I'm in the middle of a of a deadline submission for a pretty big project, and as everybody, as all of the architects out there and future architects know that the we always prioritize the project first in many cases. And so I was, of course, I packed everything up, and I decided... I'm going to take everything to, I already had a week's worth of meetings already like on the docket. Yeah, right. I can't reschedule them. Right. You know, because, I mean, most of the time because of, of, of our client, I need to schedule them, you know, two, three, four weeks in advance anyway. And so I can't just say, you know, Hey, by the way, I just got this, you know, great opportunity to get away. Um, Can I put you on hold for a week, two weeks or whatever? You know, that ain't going to fly. So I, of course, took everything with me, but I did find that I was able to do a far better, far more managed work-life balance when I had the opportunity sitting right in front of me. You know, I -hmm. sat right next to a window where I stood, you know, stared out at this little boathouse that was filled with kayaks and inner tubes and all of these other things and a little dock and sat out there and just, you know, or I, I watched, you know, the family kind of like jumping off the docks and swimming and all that other stuff. And then I knew it's like, oh, I've got an hour before the next phone call or it's lunchtime and I don't have another call for another hour and a half. I walk down, grab the kayak, go out for like an hour, come back. One time I completely misjudged the time because I forgotten that I was on central time. And I didn't, I didn't set my watch back. And so I was out floating and had 15, I was like about 45 minutes out from the dock and I had 15 minutes before my meeting realized that I had uh, data uh, or I mean, you know, I had actually cell service and my phone with me. <laughs> and so I pulled it up and I was such as like, just in case uh, you guys are wondering, you know, if I like cut out or, or, you know, get into a little spotty area, it's because, and I like turned my um, camera on and they could see me in the middle of the lake. (laughs) Ah, technology. Uh, Technology. So, you know, as we've discussed in the past, I mean, it will be very, very interesting to see how this all changes the way we work. I mean, why not just like, Hey, I got a break for a little while and oh there's a lake right there oh there's a kayak and a couple of oars you know let me get out there and just take a break 
That's a pretty cool boat-shaped cubicle you've got there, Cormac. Mm, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And it's red. Yeah. I mean, think about this. Think. Of, I mean, in cases like that or cases like, you know, I mean, if if we really are getting to a point, you know, and, and I know a lot of offices and a lot of like smaller soul practitioners and stuff are thinking about how to balance the next step of working from home or working remotely or limited time within the offices and things like that and how they're actually able to accomplish that. And then, you know, stack on top of that, you know, that, you know, some people have smaller kids or medium sized kids or large kids and, you know, they've got school and things like that. And, you know, there's gotta be like ways to like, you know, accommodate all of that stuff that, there is a complete rethinking that we're going to need to do on how we actually set up an office or set up how we work from home or how we manage our family from home. And, you know, I, I, I'm unfortunately seeing more and more people looking at the reality and, and there's a couple of articles out there that I'll try to find and maybe toss in the show notes, but of, you know, people who are kids at home that have to, you know, go to school and stuff like that or have to be taken care of because there's no daycare or or schools for them to go to, that how do you balance the life of being a parent? You know, and it's not just limited to, you know, being a parent, but I mean, you know, in, in our particular case, how do you balance the life of being a parent with also working from home and trying to basically do your full 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 hour day um, from home while you're also, you know, trying to be a good parent and make sure that your kids are doing what they need to do or they're getting out and staying active so that we're not getting our quarantine 15. And just, you know, so there's, there are a lot of, I'm very hesitant to call it interesting, but there are a lot of interesting challenges that are that we are going to be facing in the very not too distant future because even so like our, our school system has put out, I think whether they like it or not, it, it was leaked, uh, what the, what the next, uh, what next school year is going to look like. And it's going to be as of right now, a mix of two days in school, physically in school, but with a greatly reduced student capacity and, you know, breaking up like one day is actually going to be broken up over the course of two days. So that limits the amount of students that are in school so that you can fully socially distance within the classroom, as well as being masked, as well as being thoroughly cleaned both over the weekend and then in between each of the sessions then they're going to be tested and then all of this other stuff. And so there's like all of these different precautions that are going in place. Sadly, my son who was going into his senior year and was looking forward to his senior year of football, most likely won't have that. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, you know, there, there's just like all of these different things that we're going to have to, I mean, so, so that at least three days a week, we've got to have a classroom set up within our house to have those kids there. And then, you know, we as parents need to accommodate that time as well as do our job. That's going to be, 
it's going to be some tough stuff that we, you know, totally. and, huge adjustment. And I know that that just sounds so ridiculous when we talk about it. Cause there's so many other like issues and struggles and strifes out there in the world. And that, you know, we're talking about these, you know, painful little first world issues, but I mean, but for at least our world, it is an interesting, an interesting perspective that we are going to have to change real soon, real fast. Yeah. So while you are floating in a boat, I've been doing two things What instead of being on vacation. The first one is I did start a new podcast. Have you heard of it? I know. I, I heard you started cheating on me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With yourself. I love me. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're in love. Yeah, so I started a new show. Maybe I'll throw throw the promo for it at the end of this. That would be people can hear that. So in case you haven't heard, I did start a new show and it's really focused on how technology is changing the profession of architecture. And by you, I don't mean you, Cormac. I know you've already heard this. I mean our listeners. <laughs> um so uh the had some really great conversations on that so far and I'm I'm really excited with the way that the show is going and uh yeah. I think Cormac you probably need to be a guest on that show so that we can have some podcast inception. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah. And, and it's been, I mean, I lo I've loved what I've heard so far. I think you're what, three episodes in. Yeah. And, uh, the good conversations, I mean, definitely, you know, it's, it's nerdier uh, and it's nerdier for sure. It, it is, it is nerdier. It is most certainly nerdier. But the thing about it is, is that that's the way the profession is going. Yeah. I mean, as, as many times as we've talked about it, we've just never really gotten very specific on this podcast about it, whereas, you know, on Troxel, please give it a listen on Gable Media. Um, but links in show notes. <laughs> links in show notes. Yes. But I mean, it is definitely where, you know, so like where our conversations lead off about, oh, well, we're doing this, 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 and this, you're getting, you're taking the deeper dive into it, which is absolutely necessary because, you, you know, you definitely are nerding out, but it also is definitely some extraordinarily valuable information about where the profession is going. I mean, you know, we've talked about how, you know, you, you can talk to, you know, people within the office that went from hand drafting to CAD drafting to now BIM, you know, modeling and, and, you know, just that, that whole evolution. Well, that, that evolution's not stopping and it's going even deeper and yeah, it's accelerating. You know, it's accelerating even quicker now. And, and now we have an even bigger reason to accelerate it with COVID and everything else that conversations like what you're having on Troxel are most certainly something that we as the profession need to be having within the every single office, whether it's sole practitioner all the way up to, you know, these big mega firms, just so that the conversation is being had, people truly understand. And, and I think the good thing is, is that there are people like you that are kind of like the, the intermediary between like the 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 days of yore and the days to come and so i'm 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 actually i know that you have talked about this for such a very long time you know and you've you've had like your youtube videos and things like that but i'm i'm very very happy that you finally got that out there yeah that idea really came from having these amazing conversations with with the folks who i'm having them with now on the show like at conferences when they come into the office to show something or, you know, over a call 
and just really feeling like so many more people would benefit from hearing this conversation. And it's not it's not like a personal conversation, although I think all the people that I'm having these conversations with are extremely personable. Um, and so it's just more of like you get to now be a fly on the wall when that conversation happens. You just you get a lot out of it. Those just being available for people to hear, I think, are very important. I think it's a lot like what we're doing with this show where you and I are talking about what it's like to work in this profession and we've had people write in who are either students or all the way through retired and just saying, you know, it's like we're in studio again, or it's like you're transferring information that our professors don't know or that we would never get unless we actually went and worked. And so it's similar to that, where people get to overhear these conversations and and just be a part of this larger conversation without actually being there in person to make it a av- And that's the great thing about the internet and podcasting in general is just that um, right. it's all time shifted, right? So you can just pull these things up when you want to listen to them and, and have them around when, you know, either in the background or you can be actively listening. And so many more people have found time commuting, maybe not so much right now, but, um, you know, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, whenever you're doing, um, you can be listening to stuff now because everything, you know, the, the device is in your pocket with you all the time. So it's just available. And I think like that's probably the, the piece that was missing for so long in our profession to transfer this knowledge. Whereas so many of these conversations happened in person at a place at a time, and then they're gone and they're never captured. Um, and so to me, that's, that's really the value of podcasting and what I'm trying to do with, in this case, technology and architecture and have putting those conversations out to the world, just like we have here with the show. Right. So super cool. Uh, we'll definitely put some some links to that in the show notes. So that's one thing you'd be doing. That's one thing. thing. Yeah. So so the other thing is I've been getting my hands dirty. Uh, I've been I started a remodel project. So you've been to my house and you saw this. We have this old like I guess the garage was built in the sixties. Um, and when we bought this house, it was it was just called the bonus room. We bought this house from mm-hmm. the original owners. And, uh, oh man, it, I'll, I'll, I'll put a picture of it at this part in the, in the show notes, uh, because it was straight out of, I don't know, it looks seventies to me. It's got the, the striped wood paneling, you know yeah. what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> it's a, it's an egregious color. It's terrible. And then the, the flooring was even worse. Like I've actually saved a full, a flooring tile. I'm going to frame it and I'm going to put it in that room, um, it's it's so bad uh it's this 12 by 12 you know lay down tile and it's probably got asbestos in it um and and it's got this terrible pattern it's this terrible green color but what they did was they turned the garage into a dance room and i think that the guy actually gave like ballroom dancing lessons it's very napoleon dynamite is how a friend of mine described it which is (laughs) which is ultimately what you guys are going to be doing right exactly yeah Yeah, totally (laughs) Yeah, so T-bar ceiling, fluorescent lighting, green flooring, that terrible 70s wood paneling on the walls. Are you are you getting a really good mental image of what I've been living with here? And and I mean, then you've you know, seen over, it, so. overlay overlay it with the, you know, maybe swing, a little bit of like, you know, big band. Yeah. Um and yes. I, the I the music it. of your grandparents, yeah, like it would exactly. be that would be it. So 
that's uh that was our everything room it was like the catch-all it was the office it was the fitness room it was where jesse's computer is yeah the guest room to get you know we put the air mattress in there (laughs) i was gonna say big air quotes for air mattress guest room right uh it actually had it, it did have a guest bedroom in there at one point we did um when people have had like extended stays here um so yeah it was just like this it's it's literally a disaster of a room um because it's so big it's a garage it's two car garage size it's probably 17 by 22 something like that it's it's a weird shape um for that and for two car garage but so it was longer than it was wide um Mm -hmm. and then it was just our catch-all our saunas in there you know everything's in there so um what we decided to do now that we're i'm basically working from home out of the bedroom where my desk is and it's not a you know we've talked about this on the show before it sucks to like wake up and the first thing you see is your workstation right so i don't have a a basement like you where it's it's a little bit out of sight and you have to you actually get a commute you get to go down those stairs (laughs) (laughs) yes to the glamorous bare concrete floor um you know cave primed walls it's the bat cave like you could call that thing something cool like i (laughs) mine is the desk right next to the bed so i call it something very cool i call it the pit of despair (laughs) (laughs) that sounds very in line with the sketches that you do yeah (laughs) yeah exactly you should you should sketch the pit of despair that'd be a great great piece of art for the show uh so yeah so this this back room is big so we decided to divide it in half and i will get one half and jesse and the kids will get the other half and the halves are not equal their half is larger um, because there are more people and i will share the space with the sauna because we're not getting rid of that so um basically i've been doing construction so like i said i've been getting my hands dirty and i thought it would be kind of fun to talk about um the tools that we use right and and coming at it from kind of an architectural perspective of automation right like there's a lot of tools that we build in our office as far as our digital practice team goes to help people do things that you know they don't necessarily want to do by hand every single time um or you know things that just make your job easier and so on top of that you know there's i think that there is value to doing stuff with your hands and doing construction and actually learning or knowing how things do go together um, and doing demo, like actually taking things apart. You now we talk a lot about recycling materials and what are you going to do with those things. I've actually been able to save quite a bit of lumber and stuff that I thought was going to be useful maybe in the future and not damaging it uh, completely while taking it out. So I, there's a bunch of little topics in there maybe, but you know I thought it would be fun to just start with making stuff with your hands and understanding how things go together. And because I'm I'm basically in the framing stage right now, right? I did demo, now I'm doing framing, and I've got my kids helping me out. And one of the questions that came up was, "Where did you learn how to do this?" <laughs> and they don't teach you this in architecture school, right? So yeah, where did it don't. where did it come from? You know, and I I basically credit my father because he always had a project going on and it's not like we got in depth into framing and headers and you know rough openings and right right. soffits and all this stuff but but it's like you learn how to 
put things together out of standardized parts, right? And I think that's what makes architecture kind of interesting, right? Is like you come up with these unique creations out of standard parts. Whereas like I've heard it explained, you know, the automotive industry is the opposite. It's you're creating standard things like the Toyota Camry out of completely custom parts, right? The same parts that are in the Toyota Camry, not all of them are, are used to make a Tesla, right? They're, they're different. Whereas right. every building basically uses the same components, but in a different assembly to come up with a custom reality. So how do you take a, a van full of studs and turn it into a, a demising wall with soffits to create an office, you know? Um, I think that it's, it's been kind of a fun experience to, to show the kids how you go buy this pile of building materials <laughs> and then you go assemble them in this very specific way. Right. Yeah. In this very specific order, right? Sequencing is a thing for sure that most architects don't have to think about. And that actually gets us into a lot of trouble sometimes, right? Is you, you design something in such a way that it can't be properly sequenced so it can't be built. Um, so I think about that a lot when I draw, um, especially when I'm doing it for myself. Um, a lot of times I think a lot of architects just are like, oh, they'll, they have to figure that out in the field, right? <laughs> um, that's their job, not my job. One of the, yeah, one of the worst responses that architects can come up with are means and methods. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's means and methods, we, and I'm not allowed to touch that. Yeah, it's like we understand that, but I mean, I, I've got a perfect example of what's going on with the project right now is that, you know, one of our biggest efforts are okay, we've got, you know, this massive, you know, almost 600,000 square feet of renovation addition and demolition and everything else. And some portions of the building are going to stay active while other portions are under construction and everything's fed from one area to all these other remote areas and stuff. And so sequencing is massive in this, you know, the construction phasing overlaid with the actual implementation of everything that we've put in our documents is, is, is huge. And so understanding and knowing all that, you know, it's, it's, it is a completely concerted effort. We've got design assist partners, we've got the CM, we've got all of our engineers and us all talking at the same time, as well as the user groups, you know, okay, you've got X amount of lab spaces in here that are active right now, but you've got construction going on right next to it. How do we limit the construction efforts during X, Y, and Z times so that we can um, do our work, but then you also do your work. And we understand that, you know, you don't build with feather hammers, that there's going to be a lot of noise and a lot of vibration and everything else going on. And so there's like, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because they don't teach us this in architecture school. And you're absolutely right because Mm -hmm. us through experience, through conversation, through getting out there and doing our own projects, which is great for an architect to understand how to like one swing a hammer, but what it takes to actually like construct the things that we draw Mm -hmm. are absolutely imperative for being able to kind of coordinate these efforts. And I find it incredibly important to just have a chair in the space (laughs) so that I can sit down and stare at stuff. And think yeah. about how I'm going to put it together. Because it's not like you you don't figure all that stuff out when you're drawing it. You draw what you want it to look like when it's done. Right. And you might draw right. in a few extra lines for like, okay, this is pretty much where the the, seal, the soffit framing is going to go. So that, you know, I can plan that out for when the lights are going to go in there and stuff like that. 
But so, so for instance, you know, I'm building this demising wall that has a three foot jog in it. And the reason there's a jog in it is because of where the door is on one side of the room and where the window is on the other side of the room. And this window is kind of a ribbon window. And I don't want a wall landing in the middle of the ribbon window, right? What? <laughs> that happens. So <laughs> so I've got this jog in the wall and I've got it planned out where there's going to be these nice soffits and stuff. So I actually like, you know, basically prefab the, the soffits on the floor because it's flat, number one. I can get it square, number two. I can lift them into place and just attach them, number three. And so, but thinking about all that, it's not stuff that I thought about when I was drawing it up and and because I didn't need to, right? So it's kind of like design build. You you do the minimal amount of drawing so that you can get the permit. Right. And then you go and you actually figure a lot of this stuff out when you go build it, um, saving you time in the drawing stage, but literally taking quite a bit more time during the building stage, especially mm-hmm. with me because I'm not a builder, right? So. I like to just sit down and stare at stuff. And it's amazing how much effort goes into thinking through all this stuff. And obviously, contractors who are very seasoned with this just know how this stuff goes together. They've done it Mm a hundred times, a thousand times, whatever. I haven't. So, But I find it incredibly satisfying. And I think I've only put things together incorrectly so far a couple times and had to take them back apart. or re- had to rethink something or whatever based on the way that I did it. I have to now work around what I just did. Um, that that happens too. But I th- it's incredibly satisfying to like think through all of the sequencing and think through the steps of assembly, um, not just like larger, big picture sequencing stuff. Right. Right. So it's 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 really satisfying, and I will say, like it may it does make you a better architect, right? When you do know how things go together, or at least you have an idea of how they could go together, you're going to have a much better conversation with somebody who actually does have to build it, and you're going to have kind of a mutual respect, I hope, um, with that person, so that you can say, "No, I actually thought about that, and here's how. Yeah. Here's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. thinking." So that's been, it's been really fun. I mean, and and so, you know, getting beyond just the thinking and the building is like, what are my favorite tools? Because there's like the usual suspects, right? When you're doing demo, there's the hammer and the pry bar. And it's really satisfying to like rip things out, right? (laughs) It's kind of fun. It's a, I think it's a really fun part of the process. It's definitely a dirtier part of the process, but um, getting old tile that's been glued down for 50 years off the floor is really hard, right? God, I had to rent a, a jackhammer, and oh my God, I the kid really wanted to use the jackhammer. They thought it looked so fun, and, <laughs> and all I could think of, you're going to lose a toe, right? <laughs> like, there's no way. That thing is so heavy. It could just get out of control so fast. So I rented a jackhammer. That's my one tool rental. Everything else I think I've had, I, I've only purchased one tool so far for this project, and it was just a drill bit just so that I could drill into concrete so that I could anchor the, st- the sills to the floor, um, which which kind of, you know, puts, puts it in perspective. Like, I have a lot of tools. I have basically a Home Depot of tools in my garage. Um, and so this helps justify my ownership of them, I guess. In an auto zone as well. And an auto zone, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's it's been, you know, there's the the standard tools, but then, you know, so there's the levels and the squares and the 
but but I think like it, it's kind of worth talking about like what tool advances have come along over the years that now everybody kind of takes for granted and like bringing this back to what I do at HMC with building tools for architects or finding the right tools for architects obviously we don't build them all but but things that make your job easier better um I don't know like there's a lot of ways to look at it but I thought it would be fun to talk about those tools and I thought maybe I could throw that out there and have you guess what some of those might be just to kick this off and so that I can take a sip of coffee okay Let's see. Tool advances or just tools in general? Tool advances, like th- things that, like putting it under the banner of like automation. Well, you know, because it's funny is because, you know, much like you, you know, I got to, I, I thank my father for all of the, all of my knowledge of both, you know, working on cars as well as working on, you know, houses and stuff. I mean, we, we kind of like, we re-roofed our house in you know, oh, we rebuilt soffits. Uh, you know, <laughs> actually, what what that you know re-roofing led me into a couple of uh, summers where I had taken some time off of school or came home or something and worked uh, at you know worked for a roofing company, basically roof repairs in the hot Florida sun oh, is just yeah. Brutal. If you can, yeah, I. I learned the mistake of, you know, thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be out in the hot Florida sun. I'm going to be on a roof. I'm going to go ahead and just, you know, I mean, obviously going to wear my, my, my steel toed boots because that's what I'm required to do, but I'll go ahead and, um, you know, just wear shorts cause it's going to be really hot. Yeah. That's not the smartest thing to do because you get sunburns in places that you should not be getting sunburns. <laughs> totally. Oh, the back of the knees. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, and try to try to imagine like, so we used to do the aluminum, you know, the roll on aluminum coatings, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, whatever it really was. And so very highly reflective and, you know, getting that reflective sun beating back up onto you and you just like dying of sweat. And it just, I mean, I've been in full military gear during desert storm with 130 some odd degrees outside and you're wearing four layers of clothes and a gas mask and flak vest and all of those other things. And honestly, I would have much rather taken that than work on a Florida roofing crew in the middle of the summer uh, because that sucked. Jeez. Yeah. I had a, I I did the roof at my house, my last house. And because I had a friend who was, his dad owned a roofing company, and so he grew up roofing, and he helped me, and I could not have done it without so him. Much. But he told me yeah. this story, just a quick digression. When he would be up on the roof working all day, him and the other guys would, because they wouldn't carry like a, a tool belt. They wouldn't carry, because it was it was just always getting in the way, and they'd get down yeah. on their knees, and it would spill the nails. So where did they keep the nails, the roofing nails? In their mouth. Yeah. So they would throw a handful of galvanized roofing nails into their mouth <laughs> and they would they would they had this system where they would they would poke one out of their lips at a time, grab it yeah. and put it in and po- and and that so they is... just had this nail dispensing system called their mouth people. Okay. So so listen, <laughs> so I hate to say that I have actually done that before. 
Now let's talk about the evolution of, you know, you're talking about automation and evolution of tools and stuff like that. So now you went from basically chipmunking some um, you know, squirreling away <laughs> Is some. Is that what that's called? <laughs> I don't know. Just squirreling away oh. some uh, galvanized uh, roofing nails in your mouth to actually having, you know, a pneumatic gun yeah. that you basically throw in a clip of staples of roofing nails yep. or staples or whatever and you know you're able to do that so much quicker so much easier and, and it's it's a lot better than you know the absorption of you know the zinc coating on your galvanized nails <laughs> in your mouth you know into your body and now he's a doctor right so <laughs> uh i mean think i mean think about that it's just it, uh, yeah. think about like the exposure nope i mean it was just it was it was out of necessity really it's just like yes. i can't carry all these tools around because trust me i'm not a big fan of of heights huge challenge for me to be able to get up on that roof in the first place and then you know you got a nice steep roof flat roofs i was fine with but you know like a steep pitched roof was yep. not a fan of and of course i'm i'm on the repair crew so i've got to go on to any and every roof yep which was interesting because i really did learn you learn a lot about roofs <clears throat> I, I learned how to walk on a clay tile roof oh yeah because the first time you hear that oh that you broke a roof that's tile, like a thousand dollar mistake mm, right there yeah 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 <laughs> not to say that i ever did that oh, no, no no never. I, I did that um <laughs> And in the look on the other crew's face when the when new guy does that, that uh, and they're just like, oh, you idiot. Right. Because now we all have to like peel back that section and, and redo that one tile that, of course, is like in the absolute most inopportune place for you to like have stepped on the tile. Yeah. Well. But but yeah, so I mean, that that's the interesting thing about the, you know, like the opportunities that. In, in fact, actually, what's good about it is, is that in architecture school, you know, we talk about, well, you know, you don't really learn these things. But the good thing is, is that there are more and more architecture schools that are embracing kind of that kind of design build. Learn philosophy, by doing. Yeah. Learn by doing. Because, I mean, the, the the reality of the fact is, and I'm a huge proponent of this, is that how else are you really, truly going to understand how to build something? If you don't, I mean, how to like design something, if you don't actually know how to build it. And even if you're building like a small thing, and I, and I love the fact that, you know, a lot of schools have, you know, like we had a concrete class and a wood framing class and things like that, where we were learning how to design these things, but then they would also make you do full scale mock-ups or like in our concrete class, we went out and laid concrete uh, sidewalks at like the local, you know, elementary school or high school, mm-hmm. you know, it's like they, they need a new, <laughs> they needed a new uh, sidewalk. We jackhammered up the old sidewalk and laid out a new sidewalk. Or in my particular concrete class, there was a local park being built and it got all of us, our concrete class went out there and we learned how to tie rebar for, you know, these big concrete retaining walls, place all the rebar place all of the um, formwork and everything else, have it all inspected. And, you know, then ultimately they'd come out with the concrete truck and pour the concrete. But I mean, you know, learn by doing. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, I mean that that's as a kid growing up, I did built decks and put windows into walls and moved doors and all kinds of stuff like that. It's 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 a great experience. And I and I do really credit that where where it came from. And then I think it's it's definitely informed by those courses in college where you are doing learning by doing in in materials class or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. and just doing projects at your own house and staring at details, right? Like you just figure out how things go together by looking at how projects are detailed because it's not in the in the drawings, like it's not in the floor plans where you're going to figure out how things go together. It might be in the sections, right? It's not the elevations, but it's really in the details as how do these things go together. And, you know, my wife does a lot of Revit work and drafting work for other architects, and she's constantly asking me, how, do, how does this work? How do these go to, how should I draw this? And it's just because of my construction experience that mm-hmm. I've taken it upon myself to figure out over the years it, that I can actually figure out how things do go together. And she hates drawing details, and I kind of <laughs> love it. I actually really love it. I mean, that is one of my favorite parts of, you know, like the documentation process or, you know, like figuring out the details. It's like, okay, how am I going to stop water from coming in through this? Because I'm right. to do a pretty unique kind of one-off condition that, yeah, there's similarities to other things that we do out there because we don't really always necessarily reinvent the wheel. But sometimes when we go, you know, a little rogue on it, we you know, do something a little different and a little, you know, bit throw a little sass into it. And how do you prevent water from, I'm going to stop <laughs> <laughs> before I finish that sentence. Anyway. Well, I, I asked you to pick some, uh, some automation tools maybe that I've been using and you, you definitely were on the right track. So the, the air compressor nail gun pneumatic is huge huge oh, right never had that when i was a kid and when you're framing so soffits <laughs> overhead holding yeah. up 10 foot long two by fours to so that you can span this and you're going to hang them from that and oh my gosh it's like that it the nail gun is not light but it's way better than swinging a hammer and it gets the well, nail yeah, because, in all the way the first time <laughs> exactly exactly because you're you know you're gonna it, it it's far better to do it once, be albeit heavy and a little bit of awkward and all that other stuff. But you do it one time versus sitting there and kind of like hammering the nail and you know maybe because it's in an awkward position, you know you bend the nail so you've got to straighten it out. And, yep. Or pull it out because you're just not that good, right? Like a real exactly. framer will use a hammer, and they will yeah. just get it right yeah. every time, right? But not me. I mean, yeah, we're we're doing it on the on the side. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so definitely that's one. And I feel like, um, you know, it's worth, it's worth the expense for something like that. And I've used it quite a few times to have this and I've got various sizes of nail guns, but the framing nailer for sure is, uh, it's awesome. And just having the air compressor and being able to hook up whatever tool you want to it is fantastic, but let's go like way simpler. And the tool that makes the kids like it's magic. It's just the simple chalk line. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, other than the jackhammer. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> chalk line, yeah. Chalk line is like, when you see that for the first time, it's like, whoa, what is that? That is so cool. And and so, you know, you are. it's definitely an automation tool, right? Like, it's way better than, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. than measuring off the, you know, drawing this line but with pencil make, and 
so yeah, cool. Making like 15, 15 different measurements just to make sure that it's straight. You know, you got one that as long as, you know, you've got like maybe two measurements, you know, you've from the, the origin point and the end point. Right. And you snap in between rather than having to like double check all the way down the string, you know, before you didn't have the chalk line and you just, you know, zip, zip, zip. Even though that is not a a modern. No, um, not at but all. But it is, is most certainly a an automation that, you know, um, old timies did not have. Yeah, I think like chalk lines, levels, squares, all of those things are, they've been around forever and they are still such a key piece of building. Like I've got a speed square, I've got a two foot level, a four foot level, a six foot level. I've got, you know, the chalk line, I've got a string level, um, all these different things to, because, okay, so I, I mentioned in the beginning, this is an old garage, right? So, so guess what's not flat, right? I'm just guessing your floor. Yeah. I mean, not only is it... <laughs> and your walls. Not only is it, you know, at a some very small slope percentage, but it is not flat either, right? Like that would still be considered flat, even if it's sloping, but it's not flat, right? So, so yeah, there's that. And then the walls, the ceiling, nothing. It, anytime you're dealing with a... 50-year-old remodel, nothing is going to be flat ever. So this leads me to the latest and greatest automation tool. And I don't own this, but this is why I was at friend of the show, James Sink's house yesterday, because he does have one. What'd you say? Laser level? Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Magic. Laser level is magic. It's so awesome. So I I went and borrowed that from him and, and... Got that thing set up yesterday. Holy moly, that thing's awesome. Like you, my soffits are are perfect now. (laughs) It was so cool. What's funny is that there are going to be like beautifully dead level in a space that is nowhere near dead level. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I'm just hoping that I will make like the drywall job easier, right? Like that's all it comes down to now is like as you start applying finished materials to all this stuff that you're building. That it just goes in easier than it would have if you didn't, right? Like when you're putting trim on the doors, when you're installing the door, when you're putting all, you know, the, the drywall up to the ceiling. So it's it's a huge deal, right? And and it's it's crazy because I was I was driving myself pretty pretty crazy because I'm measuring down from the ceiling and then I'm like, huh, this is three quarters of an inch off. And I measure up from the floor, huh, this is like an inch off nothing's flat nothing mm-hmm. so but yeah so think about this and think about you know like people who specialize in renovations or you know like in my case that i've always seemed to be the one who does a lot more renovation work in our in so in the projects that we do that even though you can come in with a standard kit of details of like okay i want this to be this 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 and this Nine times out of ten, and almost every architect out there is probably shaking their head about this, is that when you're doing renovation work, it is purely custom work. Yeah. Regardless of how standard you think a detail is, nope. it's still got to be customized to yep. that particular condition. And so... <laughs> Verifying you can have, Yeah, it was exactly. VIF is like your, your, your biggest friend because, you know, you can say, okay, I'm going to start this soffit and, you know, it's going to be eight foot um, off, you know, finished floor 
and you know you look at the space and it it's like eight feet maybe achievable on one side where you know like the the floor you know like i'm i'm looking off at the far wall in my basement right now and i can i can visually tell yeah you know one because the i can see the uh the grout lines um or the mortar joints in the cmu that my floor above is not perfectly flat Mm -hmm. and so or the walls tilted (laughs) or, or the walls tilted or whatever and and so, you know, if I were to start to finish this thing off, I mean, almost every piece from one end to the other is going to be slightly longer than the other one yep. just because of that. And so, yep. yeah, I can say that, you know, my soffit's going to be 16 inches deep or something like that to achieve this eight foot soffit line. But it's going to be maybe 16 inches on one side and maybe like, you know, 18 to 20 inches on the other side. And it's funny because you are alluding to exactly what I was thinking, which is that it's totally surgical, right? When you're coming into an old space and you are doing some kind of upgrade or modification to it, like, okay, so here's the most surgical part for me is that I told you that this space has a a drop ceiling, right? It has Mm T-bar. And it's got 15 sixteenths T-bar, which is very important. Do you know why? Because there are different size T-bars, right? Yeah, there and are. And you would never pick 15 sixteenths for your new project. But Armstrong sells a plank ceiling that attaches with clips to the bottom yeah. of this T-bar as long as it's 15 sixteenths. And that is perfect uh, because now I don't have to frame a ceiling. <laughs> right? I'm going to put in so this you're just plank ceiling. To the, well, okay. no, I'm... Framing through it. And that's why I bring up Ooh. surgical <laughs> because I Ooh. have to attach these walls to something. So, okay. Okay. So I, 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 it's tricky. It's super tricky. And it's like, okay, I'm going through all this trouble to save this T bar ceiling instead of framing my new ceiling. I hope it's worth it because it's a pain in the ass to get the all the studs and then put the top plate up through the T bar and put it on top of the studs and nail it in place underneath a catwalk that's in the attic. It's it's totally crazy the stuff that I'm doing to but now I'm done so I don't I don't necessarily have to worry about it anymore. But man, like just getting this ceiling or these walls, this demising wall framed through an existing 2 by 2 grid mm-hmm. and under some catwalks to attach it to that are up in the attic which are beautifully made like when they frame this old garage and they put these two catwalks in there to i'm assuming just to be able to get up and fix any leaks in the roof or anything that might happen it was really well done um and i'm lucky that they're there but uh wow what what a like real surgery that i'm having to do yeah i I believe we all deserve some photos (laughs) show notes because you know i mean it's hard to visualize by the way yeah, we we need we need to do some visualization here. Yeah, so um, that's been my uh, my last couple of weeks. Just like I said, I'm just at now, the framing. Okay, so but think next about is this. Electrical. So you did. So think about this. So you did a set of documents that was basically just enough to get to pull your permit, right? And and a lot of times in like residential, you sort of have to. Now think about having to document that to the nth degree for more commercial going out to bid kind of thing because you have to do you know you have to like 
design it completely out. Um, it, you know, like my document, you know, <laughs> my documents. Oh my God. My, the documents that I have right now are, are just insane. But having to try, try to fully understand each and every one of those like weird little peculiarities in the, um, in the building so that you can document it enough. So one, you can, as I say, you know, add the Y to the CA, you know, so uh -huh. that you, you're CYAing it. But also the fact that, you know, I mean, it helps save you some heartache in construction when you can basically try to cover as much of the differing conditions as possible. Right. So, so, I mean, and, th and that's what the, the weird, you know, kind of like adventure of documentations are when we do these things is that, you know, we're, you know, having to kind of like make this weird little roadmap of insanity, um, during, during the documentation process and how much, how many more details are being added because of all the unique conditions within these buildings. I mean, I, I mean, maybe at the end of this, I'll, I'll at least put a tally on, you know, how many documents, um, that this set ends up. I mean, I think we're close to a thousand sheets so far. Yeah. It is, and, it is a roadmap of insanity. That's a, I mean, yeah. that's a title candidate for the episode right there, but it, it is very much so. And there's so many things that you think you've covered and you just haven't right there. Yeah. You just don't know oh my gosh. what you don't yeah. know. And so you get up in there and you're like, well, the floor was sloped more than I thought because, you know, it, even though the room's right there, I didn't do enough field investigation. And so my soffit's going to come in just below the head of the window instead of at the head of the window, right? So how now how am I going to adjust around that? Mm -hmm. Because I want it to align with this other door head, you know, and the door head is in a different location in the room than the, so, so you can see how like all this stuff plays in, you just figure it out while you're doing it. And on some level, it's really satisfying and it's probably the only way to do it because you can't think of every condition or come up with every, you know, cover every condition in the beginning planning right, stages right. and nor should you have to, right? Like to me, that's one of the downfalls of the way that architecture has evolved over the years is now that everything has to be, and everybody expects it to be in the documents when there's just no way that yes. that's not even right. You know, um, it's not even possible. It's not possible. It's not right. It's, it, it's crazy making now the expectations that a drawing set should have to cover. We did. We didn't invent the term unforeseen conditions for nothing. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and nobody ever wants to yeah, pay you're for right. those. Yeah. And we're sure in the hell. I mean, like I, I affectionately refer to our documents as a, you know, Ikea instructions where, you know, when you pull out the Ikea instructions, and there's and you nothing look written. At all of the kits and you're yeah. just like, it's, you know, it's either written or it's written in, you know, some Scandinavian language that you certainly aren't going to be able to, you know, um, take the Bjorken and then put it in the Bjorken. And, you know, just like, what the hell is going on here? And that's essentially what the documents that we create are. Right. Is just, you know, we're we're trying to have them find the Bjorken for the Bjorken. <laughs> 
Well, it's been it's been a fun process. Although it has, like I said, it was 107 yesterday. It was a little warm uh, to be okay working. So so let me ask but you. I wasn't this. on the roof. Um, so let let's let's bring this back to a the kind of like this kind of global conversation. Um, is are the reasons why you're you know taking this this big kind of like catch all space and making it into office space for both you know um you to work from home and you know your wife to work from home and your kids to school from home right is that the ultimate reason why you're doing that or totally were you planning on no that's it and so i wouldn't have done this i would not have done this if i didn't if we weren't working from home we would have just continued to kind of you know just have this big Space. Yeah, just live with it how it was because it was flexible. So so here's another kind of unintended consequence of this, which is probably in the positive column, is that uh, when we're done, now we're going to have an office and a bedroom, right? Theoretically. So mm-hmm. we just, I think, raise the value of our house without adding any square footage. And would I have done that? outside of this situation that we're in? I don't think so because I like the flexibility of that large room. But isn't right. it weird that we live in a environment where people value these checklists of how many bedrooms does your house have? What is the number, right? Oh, check, <laughs> right. four right. bedrooms, check, right? Now all of a sudden it opens this house up to a market that it wasn't in before. And I didn't right. add anything to the house. I actually divided a space. And I think that that, you know, if you start thinking like a realtor and you start thinking like a developer and you start thinking about the value of a thing um, and, how, and how an architect can actually add value to a place that didn't have it before um, by, by, right. Not, right. by not adding on or not adding an ADU or, you know, whatever, uh, here it is. But, you know, taking the space and, and see that that's the thing that, you know, I, I, we constantly talk about the value of an architect is being able to walk into an existing space and start to see the potentials of just what the four walls, um, actually have to offer mm-hmm. above or by removing having walls. To yeah, come. exactly. Yep. Without having to go beyond, you know, Ooh, we've got to, you know, put on an accessory, you know, unit here. We've got to do you know, you've got to do this and that and all this other stuff. And, you know, first just assessing what the actual space itself can offer mm-hmm. is something a lot of people don't usually, I mean, like, you know, most people aren't thinking about that. You know, you're... No, they're the buying account, like the a, a finished product. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then they're just like, oh, you know, I mean, yeah, we, we always find, and I'm, I don't know if you do this or not, but, you know, sometimes we stumble on watching the you know these shows like love it or listed or stuff like that Mm -hmm. and people are just like you know my family of of four just you know can't live comfortably in 2500 square feet like (laughs) yeah like wait how the hell can't you live comfortably it was like how big are you people right because there is my just shy of a thousand square feet with five people in it we do perfectly fine i mean sure um, some of them are getting too tall and need to, you know, find, you know, find more room probably. But, you know, overall, you're just, I, I'm baffled at like the, the concept and most of it is based off of like, you know, what, what kind of return on my investment am yeah. I going to get, you know, when I decide to leave this 
And it's interesting because most people are thinking when they go into buying a place, what am I going to get out of it when I sell it? Instead of like the long term of like, okay, this is the space, you know, finding a place, you know, a city, town, you know, hamlet, whatever that you want to live in Mm -hmm. and finding the right place and then just finding enough flexibility within that space to, okay, maybe I might have outgrown this floor plan and I'd like to change it, but I have the vision to be able to like modify it. And it's just, it's such a, a, it is such a very American concept, I guess, to just say, you know, how quickly can I get rid of this and get a, you know, go on to the next thing, you know? It's, yeah. It's, it's it, not sustainability minded, right? Like that to me, that, no, that is no, what we're trying to do here is like not go through all the effort it would take to find and move into a new place. What if we just right. change the thing that we're in? Like houses are modifiable. They, they just right. are. But yeah. I think people think of them more like your iPhone, which is like, yeah, I can put new furniture in it. I could install a new app, but I can't, modify the thing to fit the way that I live. And that's just not true. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't think of it like that. I would encourage listeners of this show to think of your space like that. If it's your space, you know, make it your space because that's really like one thing that I think is valuable as an architect is to really, it. you don't even actually have to do it, but it's a great process to go through to draw it up and play out like you're going to do it. And what would you change? Because when you start to really analyze how people live, whether that's you or your family or someone you know, could be your parents, it could be your neighbors who want to modify something, and and you're going to help them do that, that is invaluable experience to go through because the more that you know about how people live, the better of an architect you're going to be. Period. And I feel like you do get that kind of experience over time. It does manifest in the designs that you do. Like when I remodeled my kitchen a couple years ago, it was it's totally custom around how we use a kitchen, us. And yeah. is that going to translate to other people just fine? Absolutely, right? We didn't dumb it down for anybody else, right? We did it how we wanted it. And that's super valuable because you really pay attention to how you live. And that does, like I said, manifest back into the design work that you do. And it's, I think that's super valuable. Absolutely. Just drop the mic right there. Well, there is one question that I do have. What's that? What's, what's with you Scandinavian descended people and, (laughs) and saunas um, and saunas. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because you you say you can't, you know. Not getting rid of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, you're not getting rid of that. And the the lake house that we stayed at, um, that was built in the 30s. And the the guy who had, des- I, get, I don't know if it was designed it, but the guy who ended up building it was a Scandinavian um, immigrant. I, I believe they said. Um, Swedish, I think you said. Swedish. Yeah. yeah. I believe they said they were Swedish, but, um, so he, like the boathouse, um, you know, and, and this wasn't a very big house, um, but it was a, it was a well-planned out house. You know, it was like this one big kind of like, it was almost like this one great hall of a space where the kitchen and the dining room and like living space were all in this long 
kind of like shotgun space. Mm -hmm. So it was open concept before open concept. I mean, this was 1930 and it was a very open concept before. And then all of like the bedrooms and bathrooms and stuff were kind of like off of that, you know, like little, little small corridors and stuff that were kind of built off. So it was very, very, yeah, it was a very modern, like, um, floor plan for a 1930 home. And it was just this little small, modest boathouse and it, not really boathouse per se, because you can't put a boat in it, but this small little house on down by the dock, right on the, the lake edge. And which was, of course, like if it was my home would be my like work from home studio. Because mm. it had um, like it was it was beautifully finished with this nice hardwood floors and all this other stuff. But you go down there and it was like maybe, I don't know like 10 feet by 20 feet, mm-hmm. 10 feet wide, 20 feet long. Like a single car and garage. Yeah. Y- yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit smaller than a single car garage, but roughly around there. And, you know, um, two quarters was just like an open space where, you know, they were storing oars and life preservers and, you know, paddle boards and all this other stuff. And the other half of it was a sauna and it was a nice sauna and it had like the, uh, the, the, the stove with like the stones and it was like yeah. the, yeah. you know, it was like, it was a 1930 steam sauna. Yeah. Steam sauna. Dry, it was dry like, steams. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the right uh, way to what, what you call that. Cause I don't have that, but those are awesome. I love those. Is it, I mean, is it dry steam? If like you, you basically, you like, you, you heat up the rocks and you pour water yeah. over the rocks yeah. and stuff. So it's not like a steam okay. room where you're not trying to get like everything wet. Right. It, uh, okay. It, it, you, you pour the water over the lava rock that you superheat, you know, with a wood burning yeah. stove or, or however yeah. it's, it's heated. And then, yeah, it creates steam to heat, superheat the air inside the space, but it's not a wet room, which is important because yeah. it's all wood, <laughs> right? Which, yeah, it was all wood. Yeah. Because then the wood I mean, but... basically like soaks up that heat and then it, it's basically just pushing it back into the room. So, it's usually like a cedar lining or something like that. Yeah, and it was so, it was so it was so very like the whole thing was just you know pretty amazing, and just it was so simply built. But you know, looking at it, and and I was you know, as architects, we walk into buildings and we start kind of like you know analyzing things and making, looking at it, it's just like oh you know what would I do differently, you know and. And sure, you know, there might be an upgrade here or there, some very awkwardly laid out bathrooms. But again, 1930 indoor plumbing, you know, was just coming into, into, you know, vogue, like, you know, maybe a few years prior to that, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, so, I mean, it was very, it was very forward thinking for, you know, being a 30 home. And so, but, you know, and I look at it and I was just like, there's really not much more you can improve on this little house than, you know, what's already here other than, you know, I mean, they had already done an electrical upgrade. So, you know, it was fine. They had perfectly good internet. So it was fine. I mean, there was really not much more that you needed to do to this home. Yeah. Um, it was all wood paneling and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, ugh, wood paneling, you know, it's, you know, so like... 1970s but the more and more you sat there and you looked at it this was 1930s wood paneling so like it was like thin veneer wood paneling but it was real veneer yeah 
So you, you think to yourself, would I really change out right. this beautiful thin wood veneer yeah. just because it's, you know, passe? Like this is beautifully be constructed. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think a lot of Scandinavian immigrants went to areas like Minnesota because it was very similar to the yeah. area they came from. And, and the key to that boathouse with the sauna is the lake right next to it, right? So the, yep, yep. the way that you do it is you sauna, and then you go jump in the lake. And often you'll go back and forth quite a few times. And the, doing that kind of back and forth is what really does boost the immune system. When you go from extreme hot to extreme cold, it raises the white blood cell count, and it basically keeps you healthy. Um, it's a workout, and all you're doing is like sitting and jumping into a lake. Because you your heart rate goes way up when you get really hot, and I mean this is why I sauna as well. Is it is really a health thing to do? Even in the summer here, I'm still saunaing like three times a week, and it's pretty brutal. But I do it early in the morning, um, and then I take as cold of a shower as I can right afterward, so that I do that. You know, try to do the immunity booster, and I do it all year round. I do it in the winter too, and it's wicked cold in the winter. And during the summer, I can't get the shower cold enough. But my goal is to have a big pool of water right outside that room after this is all over, so that I can do like a full body immersion into the cold, as cold as the water can be, um, right after the sauna for that very reason. And it and it's uh you know it's a long held Scandinavian tradition, and I think it's cool that you guys got to see that there and in the house that you went and stayed at. Well, now it makes absolutely even more sense where it was located. Yeah. Yep. Cause right there on the water. I was trying to, they were like, Oh, well, there's a sauna here. And, and, and so, you know, I was like, well, yeah, it's down in the boathouse. They're like, no, it's not. It's, it's over here. And you can see like the little chimney poking out of the, out of the boathouse. And, and so, you know, I, I finally convinced everybody when I showed them the um, little rock stove or whatever it's called yeah. in there, and they're like, oh, okay. And now it actually even makes more sense that that's kind of like the tradition. I mean, because, you know, you can basically walk right out, you know, go down like a little set of steps and you're right in, you're literally right in the water. Yeah. And um, it was, and the, and the water was actually pretty comfortable. I mean, it's cold. I mean. Yeah. You want that like Canadian, initial shock. Like but Canadian yeah, you'll border, get used to so, it. Right. It's not, it's you know, not Alpine Lake. Yeah. Um, Although in the winter, so I'm, I'm sure it is. Well, it, uh, yeah, I mean, this is International Falls, which has recorded the um, lowest temperature in the continental United States in history. Oh, my with, gosh. Um, like 58 below zero or something like that. <laughs> so it has, Ice fishing, I mean, anyone? it is a, yeah, it is a cold um, area, but, but yeah, but I mean, Jeez. you know, it was like, I'm used to swimming in cold lakes because I swim the Great Lakes all the time. Mm. But yeah, my I guess my dream. Now that I uh, know that I'm going to be adding a sauna to whatever my dream yeah. um, actually is, yeah. is literally to live. I, I I think I've made my choice is I'd like to live off of like right on Lake Huron. Lake Huron is, to me, you know, it's still close enough to civilization it's off of like the crazy busy like Lake Michigan, which is you know, you got Wisconsin, you got Chicago, you know, you got like all of western Michigan and stuff and it's just too busy. Yeah. Well can like you Huron's, convince Rochelle? Rochelle? She good with that? I think she's she's the one who, you know, worked to convince me. Okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, Done deal. 
So cool, man. You know, so if, so if if uh, this uh, work from home, you know, still persists the way it does, and work from I anywhere, can stay on. I can work from anywhere. Cool. Well, until next time. Oh, we're we're done. All right. Yes, absolutely. All right. That might be all for this episode, but maybe listen to the end just in case. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Hi there. I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. We're in this tiny little village of our own technology, and the rest of the world is just kind of accelerating away. So can we take some of the benefit of that technology that's been developed in these other sectors and like bring it back at AC so we're not in this cul-de-sac that we've created of our own tools? The biggest shock to most of our graduates once they go out in the world is, you know, you're working with others uh, through the process. Because that in school is something that they don't necessarily have to do unless you have a multidisciplinary studio, let's say. So, look, we're going to work on automating high-quantity items. Yep. There's a lot of bathrooms that get designed in the world. So we're, we're going to focus on stuff like can we automate fixture counts and keep people accountable to what's an IBC just from the get-go. You know, trying to automate the stuff that is annoying, like life safety compliance, so that architects can focus more on on design solutions. It's the Troxel Podcast, broadcasting from Gable Media.
basically been conducting business online and so like you know he's literally like his change of scenery is oh i'm gonna go from my bedroom to the you know dining room to maybe yeah, it's the just basement. like us yeah exactly <laughs> exactly you know so like his very first job that he ever got was wow i mean because he's he hasn't had like a, a physical job like in the physical world i mean he's gone after a few but <laughs> You know, wait for his back in my day stories. That's going to be great. Oh, I know exactly. It's like, <laughs> yeah, my I didn't know if I was talking to bots or not, but I mean, and he's he's made and he's he's gotten a couple of paychecks so far, and it's just so weird to think about how he was applied for, interviewed, trained, and does his job all online. Yeah, I mean, I have a team member who. He actually started one day before we went to work from home. So he came into the office that I was in, in Ontario, for one day to get a crash course. And we were just kind of lucky that we had that one day, right? Because otherwise, if right. he would have started any bit later, he just would have done exactly what your son did. And so what's weird is he hasn't met any of our team in person at all. It's just like your son, right? He, like yeah. He's just... There's no actual physical human contact. 
between you and your job. It's just in that space in your house every day. And that's where you do all the interaction and it's all digital. Super weird. It 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 totally is. And you know, the thing that I I can see where he's selling things. He's selling knives, you know, kitchen knives. Which, you know, he's actually done, surprisingly enough. I mean, without like a live demonstration of the way that these <laughs> knives work. And now and now we're gonna play Fruit Ninja. Do you wanna buy this set of knives? <laughs> It's 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 a little on the surreal side, to be quite honest with you. And, totally. And, you know, so like, obviously, as parents, we're going to buy some knives. And so we obviously. got kind of like, you know, because he actually he was like, he was very, like, depressed because he had done presentations, which is, you know, you know Aiden, and and yeah. uh, doing these presentations, you know, is, is well outside of his comfort zone. I know he's kind of a, he's not, he's not kind of, he is a very he's not introvert. kind of, he's a very, yeah. He is a very introvert. And so, and he's, he did a great job, you know, going through doing presentations to people. And so, you know, he was getting a little dis- disappointed in the fact that he wasn't selling anything. And I'm like, you know, think about this, Aiden. You know, he's just like, oh, I'm a terrible salesman. I'm like, no, this is just unfortunately terrible times because you're trying to convince people to buy a set of really expensive knives with disposable income that they don't either necessarily have or not sure that they're going to, you know, when their next paycheck is coming because, you know, it could be that, you know, the people that you're you're talking to, and most of them are like leads and family, you know, it's like comes from family and then those family give you, you know, leads and those, you know, people give you leads and stuff. And so... I mean, it's yeah. not like he's got like a list of people that are like really interested in buying knives and he calls from there. No, it's like he's really got to like beat the pavement and like convince people to at least just listen to his spiel. You know, he's he did that multiple times and, you know, it was really, you know, really kind of disappointing to him that he wasn't selling. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you've got to really look at the the reality of the situation that you're living in right now. And so he was just like, well, can you guys throw me a bone and like just buy something? Like, of course. He's like, gonna... he's like, I need a, <laughs> I need a reference here. I need you guys to. Because yeah. I need, a... <laughs> I need to. And what was funny is Super like. Super helpful. He was after that. So like he was over 10 on his first run of things. And then, you know, we were like the last people in his first run of, of 10 to um, listen to his spiel. We did. And we, of course, bought stuff because you know, we're going to buy stuff from our son. Um, you know, he, he got, he got better at it and, you know, everybody, everybody that had listened to it were, you know, they weren't going to buy, you know, they just, you know, they just weren't going to buy right now. But what the good thing was is that they helped him. They gave him like pointers on how, you know, how to fix his presentation or, or things like that and how to make it his own and, and everything else. Cause almost, I mean, it was either teachers or, or architects that were, you know, listening to a spiel. And so yeah. all of these people give. They pres- talk for a living. They talk yeah. for a living, and so they were. <laughs> so they were giving him all of these great pointers, and it was just it was fantastic to like you know, um, for him just to kind of like listen to you know, these people who do this all the time. Yeah. And then when he finally, when we finally bought something that it kind of like gave him a little, even though he knew we were going to buy something anyway, it gave him a little bit more confidence. And then you know he actually started to sell. Now, truth be told, we. 
you know, when we got back, our knives were waiting for us. And truth be told, these are some damn fine knives. They're probably <laughs> some of the best knives that I've ever owned. You yeah. have a link a link to uh, Aiden's uh, online shop here in the show notes. <laughs> he, yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was, I was, I, they came in yesterday and, or, I mean, they came in when, and so I, I unboxed them and I hadn't cut with them. Uh, we got, we got in on a, like, you know, late, late Friday night. So Saturday I'm like, okay, it's time for me to cook and make dinner and all this other stuff. Pull the knives out and... I was just oh, like, oh, dang, look out, fingers. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> got them all ready to go. And then um, I was making some chicken and and I just, I, I literally didn't even have to like put pressure, just like cut through, you know, chicken breasts with like zero pressure. And I was just like, holy crap, these are actually really good. <laughs> That's awesome. Not, not that I wasn't expecting them to be good, you know. I mean, well, of course, yeah, they're brand but, new, man. Well, they're brand new, and then, you know, they're, like, expensive. And they'll probably uh, last forever. You probably will never buy another set. Well, they, you know, funny enough, they um, do come with a lifetime guarantee, and when they go dull, you can ship them back to the company to have them do a um, company refurbishment and sharpening. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's, it, they're really nice. All right, so so, uh, so link in the show notes. Huh? <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, you're gonna have to listen to a spiel from Aiden for sure. Yeah, that, that's the thing is you gotta you you know if you're interested and you're looking to buy knives, you know, please hit me up now. Yeah, <laughs> he's. Definitely. I will say that he is definitely learning that jobs versus careers. There's a big difference. Mm. Yeah, I well, I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, perspective of where people are coming from when they're listening to this is a really great lesson, you know, thinking about just the whole idea of empathy, right? And putting mm-hmm. yourself in their position. What what kind of uncertainties are people going through, exactly. right? And when you talk about sales, you're talking about like what are the obstacles and what are the what are the things that that people automatically have you know what what's working against you as a salesman automatically there's a lot of really interesting like psychological and actual things to be thinking about there and and ways to overcome those i remember when i when i worked for apple and i was being trained and it was it was really interesting the way that they had this approach and their approach wasn't they weren't training you to be pushy they were training you to build relationships and because I mean, what, that was one of the things that I've always taken away from working at Apple that I felt like was really amazing was that their attitude was that when the sale happened, when it finally happened, they never expected it right away, and they knew people came into the store three, four, five times before they actually decided to make a purchase or not. But they said that the, when the transaction happened at most locate most stores, not Apple stores like Best Buys or whatever, that's when the relationship ended. And they said for them, that was when the relationship began. And I felt like that was a very interesting attitude to take because at that point, once, you're, once you've bought in, now you are part of something. And they were going to make sure that you enjoyed using this thing and that you knew how to use it. Because most places you go buy the thing and you never go back. You never talk to them about it. 
but at an Apple store that's open, that teaches classes, that does tech support, that does all the things that enable you to continue to use the tools and hopefully make allow you to or enable you to use them better. I always felt like what a great like position to be in, right? Because that basically guaranteed that you were going to come back time and time again and that it wasn't going to be a one-time deal. It wasn't going to be a one-time purchase and then you never saw them again because then you're constantly looking for new people to churn through your system where it's way better if you build that relationship over time and they just continue to come back and back and back. I think that's one of the things that as architects, you know, in our business model is incredibly difficult, right? Like we do rely on repeat business from campus type customers, right? You want to do a great job so that their next building and their next building, they come back to you. And then that, that in its own right is very difficult because they like to spread work around and do things like that. And you can't guarantee the performance of everybody in your team, and it's really complex and all these things. Um, But anytime your business is built on finding new people, because no, hardly any clients out there, especially in the residential market, right, are ever going to build another house. I mean, that's really low volume numbers. You're talking about people who build more than one, spend their life savings more than once, right? (laughs) Unless they're just in that model of a you know flipping kind of a model like build a build a thing fix you know spruce it up sell it for more hopefully and keep doing it and kind of go through that most people don't do that with real estate true most people so as architects that's really hard right so one of the one of the things that we've thought about is just like how can you change that business model so that you create a relationship that lasts longer than three years and is more like 20 years or 50 years how can you help them run their building better over the life of that building and get paid to do that and and be and have a relationship right so that they do come back and they do tell people about you and you do still continue to get that kind of word of mouth marketing happening on their behalf i think that there's opportunities out there for that kind of stuff but that whole like putting yourself in their shoes i think is a really cool lesson for for anybody who does any kind of communication around sales um, it's super important, and obviously we hear we hear the empathy word a lot these days. Yeah, well, you know, and I was thinking about that as I'm explaining this to you know Aiden. I'm you know trying to explain to I'm just thinking about like you know because we belong to like the you know entree architect community, and there's a lot of sole practitioners out there who are kind of dealing with the same situation where either you know very busy and it's kind of you know feast or famine kind of situation for them, and, and mm-hmm. so how do you how do you get new business in almost a virtual setting right now? And and how do you, how do you approach people trying to get business for yourself with that level of empathy to like, let them know, you know, Hey, I know you're, you're kind of on the fence about, you know, this project that you were talking about with me, you know, during the normal days, you know, big air quotes there. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I think this is probably a good time to, you know, think about doing the design portion of it at the very least, getting things the way that you want. You know, I mean, I, I will say that the the thing about like this shutdown that has kind of benefited us, and I use that term very loosely, you know, specifically in my project right now, is that it's given us some time, you know, because construction operations have stopped. So, but, you know, the design operations have continued offers up an opportunity to you know keep going with the project as it was like previously programmed but then 
is this right now that we know we're getting all of this data from the new world we're going to probably start you know terming the post-covid world mm-hmm. and you know is is the the program that we had decided upon a year or two years ago right for yeah two months ago or two months from now right and and so you know we are really honestly looking i mean we've we've had the conversation on a couple of different occasions where you know we're talking about you know entry sequence i mean first it was just a set of doors that you went through a vestibule and you walked past a security gate and up some stairs well is that what we're really going to be doing in buildings like what we're designing currently is that what we're really going to be doing in the future or are we going to you know stop them test them at least just do some you know kind of like tracing and things like that just so that we know you know if if somebody gets sick how do we like tell all the other people who've ever been in this building normally when you have like an open building like this you don't really know who's actually in the building at any given time i mean you may have a set of eyes on them but do you really stop them to talk to them and say who are you where are you going all of that's going to change maybe not a hundred percent change but it is going to change i mean you will have a lot more eyes on you. You will have a lot more skepticism on you as you're, you know, it, as we're designing these buildings and stuff and, and entering in buildings and occupying buildings and stuff. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see how the 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 empathy portion of this kind of like moves forward as we're both designing and landing, you know, trying to get jobs. And it's just, it's, it's going to be an interesting unknown that we're all going to have to kind of like wade through together and just hope that we that you know people are willing to kind of keep working at you know it's just like okay well you know I really wanted to do an addition to my house but you know now that you know and and, and who knows I mean there's going to be um, speaking of uh you know additions to houses and stuff I mean people are going to start looking at you know what I think I need an an office in my home 